Station 2, San Jose Avenue. From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Welcome to the Datebook Podcast, Movies with Mick LaSalle. I'm pop culture critic Peter Hartlob, here with movie critic Mick LaSalle. Hello, sir. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, Going over a lot in this episode. Let's not even lie. We already recorded it, so I know (laughs) it's there. Um, You talk about Eddie Murphy, Dolomite is my name, kind of a comeback. You like the performance. Yeah. I want to ask you, when did Eddie Murphy come on your radar, and, and is that a moment that you remember? Eddie Murphy was already a famous person when I, even though he's two years younger than I am, he was already a famous person at the time I became a film critic. Uh, And I liked him, but the thing that really made me interested in him was when I went to see him live. He was was doing a a show in Oakland at the Coliseum called Eddie Murphy Raw. Oh, yeah. that I mean, he wore the suit, the leather suit. Yeah, the leather suit. (laughs) And he was hilarious. He was just great. And then that was made into a movie, Eddie Murphy Raw. And that was, he was, he was the hottest thing in movies for about four or five years. And then, then not so much. It just kind of faded. But back now. But he's back, and and I would like to see him, you know, do more work. I find him hilarious. I'm like the only critic who like Norbit. Yeah, <laughs> I loved it. I thought it was hilarious. I thought not only that, not only did I think it was funny, but I was shocked that nobody else thought it was funny. <laughs> well, Norbit is not covered in this podcast, but <laughs> Leba Hertz returns, and you guys cover. Start with Dolomite, end with Jojo Rabbit. That's yeah. another big film out. Um, the Lighthouse is in there. Roy Cohn, and why the beginning of Roma? I love the tangents, uh, Mick. <laughs> why the beginning of Roma is like consuming 12 Benadryls. <laughs> Datebook Podcast, thanks for listening. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Well, hello, everybody. This is Mick LaSalle, and welcome to Movies with Mick LaSalle. And I am here with my former editor, Liba Hertz. Hi, Liba. Hey, everybody. Well, I think we, let's see, I think we haven't been talking to people for like about two weeks. I think it's been about two weeks. At least two weeks. At least two weeks. And so we have some, some movies to cover. And, uh, you know, you have the list in front of you. Don't I you do. tell me. I Hit me. I have something that's called My Name is Dolomite. My name is Dolomite. Okay, well, it's a cave. It's about a cave. It, well, oh, talking cave. It's it's uh, <laughs> right. Well, the Dolomite. The, that kind of yeah, it's spelled differently, but it is right. The Dolomites. Uh, is it the Dolomites? Is it yeah, the, the Dolomites cave? are in Italy. I think so. Yeah, they're in. Italy. Or are they mountains? Are they mountains or caves? Well, they no, they're mountains. The mountains. But it, it, so it's all about a mountain. It's funny. Talking well, it's, mountain. <laughs> you know, it's funny because the spelling the spelling is different. I, I didn't make the connection, but it is. 
It is called the Dolomites, and mm-hmm. and it's where Alto, it's the Alto DJ or IDJ uh, region with the wine and Bolzano. It's part of Italy. I've never been to, oh. but it's supposed to be really great. It's it's the part. It's like Trentino. It's the part that sometimes used to be Austria, mm-hmm. but then they kept on oh, losing gotcha. wars, so now it's part of Italy. But anyway, mm-hmm. yeah. So my name is Dolomite. This is no. A, your name is Mick LaSalle. Yeah, my name is. Uh, my name is Dolomite is an Eddie Murphy movie that is is being released on Netflix and it it had it has had it's in theaters where as we speak it's in theaters and um and it would would recording this before its release There's on October 25th. There's a reason 25th. it's in theaters should we explain why it's in theaters? It's in theaters what they do well I think what they do is Netflix purpose, purposely puts things in theaters for a couple of weeks in order to um, you know, make make their movies academy possible. Right, that's exactly. Yeah. And, and and as a matter of fact, if you if you are not from Los Angeles or New York, you'll have to watch it on TV. Yes, and and it it's also very clear, except in rare cases like last year with uh, Roma. Roma, yeah. And even they, that didn't show in many cities. Yeah, yeah, but in the case of Roma, they didn't. Then they were interested in having critics come and review it, and they made a big pitch, and they gave us all a book. Every, yeah, oh, yeah, a book, that right. horrible book that came in oh, the mail. That's right, that of big, all these, giant book. A big, giant, heavy book of blurry pictures from the movie. It was completely useless and went right in the garbage. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, yeah, Actually, you know, it didn't go right in the garbage. It went right in the... Um, in that grab bag thing right. that we did. And somebody grabbed it fast, too. Yeah, because yeah, they thought it was good until they opened it, and then <laughs> yeah, nobody wanted it. But anyway. Um, I think I used the, that at an elephant, par- you know, a gift-giving party. You know? yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I did the same thing. It's, um, they're not interested in getting reviewed in the paper until it's on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, I'm not even sure they're interested in it getting reviewed at all. But anyway, I saw it, and it's going to be in this Friday's paper, October 25th. And it's been in theaters, and what it is is Eddie Murphy playing Rudy Ray Moore. And Rudy Ray Moore was an interesting guy. He he started off as a pop singer. I think he was a dancer. He was – then he became a comedian in his 40s, and he he wasn't really doing that well until he started hearing these, these legendary stories of a guy named Dolomite from homeless people. And started collecting the stories, and then he adopted the character, and it's in, and it was very, it was very risque material. It was kind of out red foxing red fox. It was uh, stuff about pimps and prostitutes, and a lot of it was in rhyme. So people say that he's sort of a, a precursor of rap, which I think, if you're going to say he's a precursor of rap, I guess Muhammad Ali was really a precursor of I rap. Think the precursor of rap was the Almanac singers, frankly, with Pete Seeger doing talking book, talking, uh, talking union. That's a rap. Well, whatever. Anyway, um, and so this this is his story, and it's it's basic. It's mm. the story of how he becomes uh, this character, and then how he decides to make a movie, and then so he makes a movie. He makes uh, the movie Dolomite in nineteen seventy five, and it's it's an interesting story in that the guy, uh, the character of Rudy Ray Moore is constantly having to work very hard um, and risk everything. At first, you know, to, to make a comedy album, he has to put up his own money. Then to distribute it, he has to make his own copies and sell it out of his car because no 
nobody will, you know, no record company will represent them or front any money for it because it, they feel they can't market it because it's it's so, you know, it's so off color. I mean, really, I can't even give you like the titles of his albums, on, you know, probably. And then he, he decides he wants to make a movie. And by this time, he does have a record company because he already, you know, he has a, he's became a success. So the record company stepped in and they say, OK, well, the record company says we'll finance your movie. But if your movie bombs, we're going to own your copyrights for the uh, for the records. So he's constantly risking everything, which should be a little bit more stressful than it is. The movie Eddie Murphy's great. Eddie Murphy's really good in this movie. I I really enjoy. I, first of all, I I like having him back. I like having him have a vehicle for his political incorrectness because he gets to play somebody who was a historical figure who was notoriously politically correct. So it's not on him. Politically incorrect. Politically incorrect. I'm sorry. Yeah, he gets to play. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so he doesn't get the politically correct police going after him like he did with Norbit and every other thing that he did. (laughs) Um, Instead... um, in, instead, he gets to play this guy, and you know the, he's being historically accurate, so he doesn't get blamed. I also like that the, you know Eddie Murphy is an actor uh, as an actor has a lot of sensitivity to him, and he has a very um, he has a, eyes that are very truthful, even when his you know mouth is saying something else. I mean, you can always read him, you can always see him, and I really like that about the movie. However, I feel like the film is overlong. Uh, I feel like it's stretched. The movie is a little bit like the the making of the movie goes on forever, and it's a little bit like the disaster artist, where it's a bad movie, a bad cult movie getting made. However, the movie, this movie, unlike the the disaster artist, was very happy for the 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 filmmaker mm-hmm. to be an idiot. Mm-hmm. And actually, the star of the movie, in a sense, wasn't the filmmaker. It was the young guy played by James Franco's brother, I think, mm-hmm. Dave. This this movie, the hero of the movie, is the guy who is also a little bit of an idiot. You know, mm-hmm. so they're making fun of the movie, but they're not making too much fun of the movie, and I th- that's caught in a zone, a tonally not yeah. very good zone. So it's like a celebration. Anyway, it's not str- it, the, the movie is not stressful enough, it's not dramatic enough, it's not funny enough, it's not interesting enough, but it's almost okay. And I realize also that a lot of people aren't going to be buying a ticket for this. I, if you, you know, that's a do not buy a ticket mm-hmm. for this. It's not good. You know, they might want to give it a shot. It's on if they have Netflix uh, um, streaming. You know, and they're going to be washing the dishes or unloading the dishwasher or whatever they're going to do. They can put it on for ten minutes and decide for themselves if they want to watch this thing. Um, but I, I would have probably given up on it at. A certain point, but it wouldn't have been within ten minutes. Uh, I I would have trusted that the movie was going to actually get really good. It just never quite does. But it's not bad either. How it's would like you that. compare um, if you were an Oscar, if you were an Academy of Voter, and would you vote for Eddie Murphy or Joaquin Phoenix? Oh, there's no, there's not even, a, there's not even a competition. Uh, definitely Joaquin Phoenix. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no, there's no question. Oh, by the way, I saw something yesterday. I believe on the last podcast, were we talking about? Who was going to get nominated for supporting right. and who was going to get nominated for actor mm. for Once Upon a Time right. in Hollywood? I found out what they're doing. What they're doing? Yesterday. It was announced. Did you find out no, this? No, no, I, I missed it. Yeah, I know, I'm, not, I'm not sure what I said was going to happen. You, you thought that Brad Pitt would get 
supporting actor, but should be nominated for best actor. Oh, I said I thought he would get. Oh, I did. Okay, yeah, good. You thought he should be nominated for best actor, but you thought he would be get. I believe that's what you said, but you believe you went with me that he's probably going to get supporting well, actor nomination. I'm I'm glad that that's what I said because that's what's happening. What yeah. they're deciding to do is rather than have. Brad Pitt go up against Joaquin Phoenix like and, and go over, you know, everybody else and lose because, you know, uh, the the we'll be talking a lot more about this. But the kind of role that he plays, Brad Pitt in this movie, he's not like a, it's not a particularly chameleonic performance. Right. He's sort of like a Brad Pitt sort of guy. They always lose to a guy playing the Joker. You know, you always, or, always or a lose. British guy playing somebody. Or a British guy playing somebody or somebody, you know, playing somebody <laughs> with a disease or something. Or like they Winston always, Churchill. Yeah, or, yeah. They always lose. So yeah. to put Brad Pitt for best supporting is absolute sure thing. And then they're going to try to get um Leonardo DiCaprio for best actor. And who knows, they might get him nominated. Yeah. But there's no way he's going yeah, to win. They're forfeiting. Talked, they're yeah, forfeiting yeah, the category. I, I think we, yeah, they're forfeiting. That's mm-hmm. a good move on their part. I mean, as I said, it's, I'm not a Brad Pitt fanatic. A lot of his things, and same with DiCaprio. But in this movie, both of them, and as I said earlier, no one plays white trash better than Brad Pitt. Yeah, and they're both they're both really great in the movie. Mm, yeah. But the sure thing is supporting actor. Yeah. So they they went for that anyway. And but, he's done uh, so much more than just act, uh, Pitt. I have to give him credit. He's like had production companies and given young directors and actors a chance. I mean, yeah. a lot of these things. I mean, you know, he, yeah, I, he, I, I give him credit for a lot of stuff. And he's really grown on me yeah. over the years because, you know, 20 years ago, I just thought he was, I just thought he was awful. I mean, I just Babel. thought he, Remember Babel? Yeah, Babel oh, was... Oh, yeah, that yeah, was but painful. That, yeah, but that, I don't think the problem was him in that case. Oh, it was. Yeah. Oh, I still can see that voice. Help my wife. Help my... Oh, my goodness gracious. <laughs> well, and for those of you uh, who are, have access to the internet, which is everybody, and have uh, want to look for our old podcast, you can hear our original review of Babel sometime, I think, in, what, 2006? Because <laughs> as has been... Uh, we were talking about it. We have been podcasting on and off, and recently mostly off, till like the last year, since 2005. That's right. Yeah. We were pioneers. We were pioneers. In fact, I, I still remember, I was such a young mm-hmm. lad at the time that I remember saying that I was exactly the age on that day that JFK was when he was assassinated. Those were the good old days. I don't remember that one at all, but yeah. that's it. So, yeah, and, that was, yeah. And, and I was young enough that I wasn't about to get Medicare, so. Yeah, there we go. There we go. All right, so what, what else do you I'm want to talk about? I'm going to go um, either Lighthouse or Roy Cohn. Uh, well, we, we could hit Roy Cohn uh, briefly. That's that's last week. It's it's a movie about... Um, the most insidious man ever to walk this planet. Well, who, who, who the most insidious man ever to walk this planet who, who uh, somehow did not ever get elected president. Um, and who also uh, never told the truth. He was an interesting, interesting character. I mean, it, I, I, I was interested to see him because I remember when Roy Cohn was alive. Mm-hmm. I lived in New York, and Roy Cohn was not considered like a villain. Oh, my family, he certainly was. But but your family, they were, they were communists. Right? My mother hung up the phone on him. But yeah, in the fifties. No, in, the, in like the seventies or eighties, when she was working for Seymour, I was, I was. She came home and I hung up the phone on Roy Cohn. Well, that's so well. That's yeah. Well, but they were very political and kind of leftist, though. Yeah, and they knew him. They actually knew what he had done to the Rosenbergs, and they knew about the McCarthy hearings, and oh. I mean, you know, that type of stuff. Well, but, but I, I but, find and, it, and I've, he was just. Just horrible. He, he he was a bad guy, but I find it surprising. I still remember <clears throat> something that Roy Cohn said 
on a talk show. He said, if a cop stops you to give you a ticket, tell him, okay, look, you're going to give me a ticket. That's fine. But please hurry up. and I'm busy. And I was thinking to myself, well, I'm going to try that. But then again, I think it only works if you're Roy Cohn. Well, it's interesting. I'm glad you're saying this because as someone who grew up knowing that Roy Cohn, well, in, in the United States, let's not say the most deceased man ever walked this earth because we know there's a few others, but um, on the United States. But he, I grew up learning this was the most horrible man. And my mother would see him and she'd spit. My father would spit. <laughs> you know what I mean? I learned early on about the Rosenbergs. My father, to this day, thinks both of them were innocent, or to the, his dying yeah, day. Yeah, people don't think that anymore. No, they think she was, but he. They think she And even might what he been. knew really wasn't like you know death penalty worthy. Well, but, um, but in the in the McCarthy hearings in the Hollywood tent, and you'd see pictures of Roy Cohn leaning over. Yeah. And he always knew in my family that this was not a good man. Well, there's some very interesting things about this movie. First of all, the title, of course, comes from what Donald Trump said that he wanted in an attorney general. He wanted somebody like Roy Cohn. And then you see the movie and you realize what he meant, which is a crook, because Roy Cohn was a crook. Uh, he, he, was a, he was a total mob lawyer, first of all. He, he just defended everybody who was like evil. It was really kind of remarkable. He lied constantly. He was constantly in ethical trouble. Uh, there was really almost nothing good to be said for the guy. I also thought it was interesting how his gayness was, his homosexuality, was something that was kind of an open secret. Um, and even he was kind of taunted during the Army McCarthy hearings. He was like, they, they were constantly playing with him as though they were about to out him. Um, and yet he never admitted it, and he died of AIDS. Yeah. Uh, anyway, just it's a really good portrait of... Uh, of an unfortunate American life. And I find interesting that he almost, almost is sympathetic. Almost. I, yeah, you're saying no. I'm saying no. I find him almost sympathetic no. just because he was so clearly no. and, miserable. And, and he was I, just a miserable and guy. And also what I liked about this movie is how it totally related to what's happening in Washington, D.C. Oh, right very now. much because he, he, he – I mean, That was the part I did not know. I did not know about his mob ties. Yeah. And I didn't, know, I didn't know about his influence on, you know, Well, Trump. I mean, his his philosophy was if you're caught lying, never admit it, just say a bigger lie. Yeah. And then if you change your story, never admit it, just change the story. And so basically the whole thing is that he, he really was very good at the media because, I mean, he had the media fooled mm -hmm. in because in the in the late 70s and 80s, everybody hated Joe McCarthy. Yet somehow Roy Cohn, his second in command, his right hand man, his sidekick was considered respectable. I mean, people like Barbara Walters no, liked that, That's um, what I was going to say. That was the shocking part. Yeah, not Barbara, to me. I, I but, wasn't. And, and I remember that people liked far, But apparently Barbara Walters and him knew each other when they were kids. Yeah. So, a lot of people liked yeah. him. But then all of a sudden, when he was disbarred and he was in trouble, it's like he, nobody went to his parties. Mm -hmm. He found out how much people really liked him, which was mm -hmm. not at all. He was just somebody powerful. Mm -hmm. Anyway, what else we got? Um, light, um, lighthouse? Oh, boy. Lighthouse. All right. Lighthouse. Lighthouse has 92% of the critics saying they like it. And I, I use that phrase intentionally, saying they like it. There's a certain kind of movie that automatically gets respect because it has certain things going for it, like um, it, it has uh, 
you know, really good lighting and it seems artistic and it's shot in black and white and it's even shot in an aspect ratio that's like almost totally square. It's uh, even more more square, I think, than the aspect ratio that Hollywood was using in the 30s and 40s. So it's kind of an artsy movie. It's about uh, a young guy, you know, about 30, I guess, 31, 32, somewhere in there, goes to work for an older guy who's the lighthouse keeper and he's like the lighthouse keeper's assistant. And it's just two guys, and those are two characters. And the only other character is a mermaid who shows up here and there in fantasies. At one point, he has Robert Pattinson has sex with a mermaid. I don't know. That's never anatomically explained. Um, Who's Rob Pattinson? Is he the— He's, he's the young guy. The young guy. And, and okay. Willem Dafoe is the old guy. Willem Dafoe, okay. And it, it is definitely a movie that is intentionally made. I mean, you—and you, I think a lot of times critics give awards for effort— or gives, give awards for intention. Um, somebody wanted to make the movie, and it turned out the way they wanted to make it. And, it, and I felt when I saw it that you can, you can almost smell, you can almost, almost smell the movie because it, it and it stinks. Uh, every, you know, body odor and, and all this, it, it was just like, ugh, it was just disgusting. However, the movie doesn't have enough story to sustain itself beyond like 25 minutes it really is has it it's it's a twilight zone episode and it it could even be a pretty good twilight zone episode Mm -hmm. but it shouldn't have been more than 25 minutes and i'm adding in two monologues for rod serling and the coming attractions you know so add that in um there's not enough here it's the same scene over and over again it's the two guys having dinner and one guy menacing the other guy. And that is it. That is it. And it's so boring. I said in the review that just imagine how fun it would be to have you know dinner with a smelly, disgusting guy with a fake Irish accent. That's exactly how funny it is to watch a movie about a guy having dinner with you know with a smelly, disgusting guy with a fake Irish accent. That's what we get. I think it's completely worthless film, but but well made. And if somebody, if the person, the filmmaker, wants to do somebody else's screenplay one of these days and apply that kind of artistry to something that has an actual story, might have something, so, but not now. So this, would you yeah. say this has the Vera Drake syndrome? No, it does have the Vera Drake syndrome exactly because the Vera Drake syndrome is something like where... If you like it, you, you you're automatically a good person, kind of like um, you know that Vera Drake was like that. That uh, but isn't Vera Drake? We, we also say it's people who actually really didn't like it are afraid to admit it and just say it's this great movie. Yeah, there's an element of that, but but uh, this is this is the other syndrome. This is the syndrome where you have to like it in, in order to be intelligent. That that would be like the Babel syndrome. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Vera Drake syndrome is you have to like it in order to be a good person, and I think Roma was sort of like the Vera Drake Babel syndrome because it was like both at the same time. So that was like a double thing that was guaranteed to do well. I mean, if you, if you, if you, you know, you can't admit that the first 70 minutes of Roma is like, like, like eating, you know, 12 Benadryls. It's, you know, it's pretty rough. It is pretty rough. You have to, that's a movie you have to watch standing up. I know. I, I, and I, I think, um, cause I was still working there and I was one of the, I was the first to say, Really? <laughs> oh, what's that? Oh, about the movie? About Roma. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and a lot of people, when they watched it eventually on Netflix, because, you know, they heard, oh, this, this is a great uh, movie. I think they just 
skipped, you know, skipped through it uh, because it was, it was, it, it, I knew, I knew it was in trouble. I knew Rome was in trouble when they kept on washing that. I was just going to say the floors, yeah. washing yeah. the floors. But yeah. I learned how to wash the bathroom floors. Yeah. So. I knew it was in trouble because it went on. I thought, oh, well, that's really beautiful. And then it kept on going. <laughs> it kept on going because, oh, okay. This and is then, and then she are. stands and does the, 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 the judo thing and the, or whatever it's called, jiu-jitsu or whatever yeah. it is. And, and there was, wasn't that a great scene? I go, she just stood there like. Yeah, that, that movie, that's. that's and even, uh, and even like when the riot took place, it was kind of like a letdown. The riot was a letdown, but it was like, it was at least something. I, least I go something. for, you know, good riot, yeah. break up uh, the boredom. Malef- Maleficent. Maleficent. Maleficent, uh, that's, okay, well, that that is the sequel to the first Maleficent, which is the story of Sleeping Beauty as told from the standpoint of the, I guess, the witch or the whatever. Evil, the evil, evil, I think she was the evil fairy. The evil fairy is something that puts puts the, the spell, spell on, her. on, yeah. This one, you know, has a problem because it, the problem is that at the end of the last movie, Angelina Jolie is perfectly nice. She's kind of scary looking. You know, she looks mm-hmm. like Joan Crawford with horns coming out of her head. But she's she's basically okay. So they have to come up with a new villain. So the new villain or villainess is Michelle Pfeiffer. And basically it, it's a whole movie leading up to a battle scene. And it's – I think I think it's pretty uninvolving and not even – Barely worth talking about. Yeah. Actually, I, I I kind of understand this, but it's sort of if you're a certain age or a certain type of young girl or female, you kind of like enjoy it in a kind of a once upon a time happy ending Disney kind of way. Well, you know, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. One of the things that I walked out really thinking about was the fact that, you know, here you have a movie where you have mm-hmm. fairies being dissolved oh, yes. chemically. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, like by like Dr. Mengele of the the fairy world. I mean, it's really kind of mm-hmm. kind of sick. And you don't feel anything. You couldn't care less. And you think about, you know, Bambi. I mean, I mean, my parents saw Bambi when they were kids. They were so traumatized by it that they wouldn't let me see it at all. I still have not seen Bambi. They would talk about Bambi. What happened to Bambi's <laughs> mother? I you know, seriously, I said this in a review, but they would talk about what happened to Bambi's mother in the mid-60s, as I'm remembering this from my early childhood, with, I mean, they would be more likely to make jokes about Kennedy's assassination than they would about what happened to Bambi's it mother. Did, and that was just a cartoon that didn't really happen. Yeah, did we, did, and then we discover what happened to Dumbo's mother? I can't remember. Dumbo's mother makes that okay. But okay. It's, yeah, she, she has a hard time of it, but she turns out all right. right. Yeah, it's a, you know, th- th- there's a lot of anxiety, but not like... Uh, you know, no, no death going on. <laughs> but anyway, the, so Bambi's, the de- you think about it, this is Disney in 1942. Bambi's, the death of Bambi's mother resonates through the ages. This movie is, has like a body count. There's a lot of dead fairies getting blown up out of the sky. A fairy's getting dissolved. Dead people, dead whatever, I don't know if they're fairies, whatever, they have horns. A tale I guess for fairies. our time. <laughs> yeah, and, and nobody cares. Nobody cares. So anyway, Okay. Uh, yeah, we can go to the next Okay, one. well, talking about dead bodies or dead walking people. Yeah. Uh, how about the and sequels? We have Zombieland 2. Well, Zombieland 2, yeah, I think we could get through this one pretty quick. But I, I would just say this this is a sequel to the original Zombieland from 2009 and has the same crew as Woody Harrelson and, and Jesse Eisenberg and, and Emma, Emma Stone. Stone. And um, 
and and he and even the the the, the one who was very young, Ab- 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 Breslin. Abigail Breslin, yeah, Breslin. Yeah. Um, and they're all they're all in the movie, and now they're they're just making their way. It's funny; they never run out of gas. <laughs> they always have gas in their car, and it's just like the thing you have to accept. Uh, but they they go to the White House, and they're going to live inside the White House for a while. But then things happen, and they leave, and and it's just. I think it's everything that the original movie is remembered for. Because when I saw the original movie, I thought, this is really funny, but it's still a zombie movie. And if you like zombie movies, you would probably really like it. But if you don't really like zombie movies, you could probably skip it. This movie is a comedy that has zombies in it. And I think think the, the sequel is better. And, you know, Woody Harrelson, what a delightful guy. I mean, that guy, is, you think of the range of that we just accept as just normal for Woody Harrelson. He plays zany, stupid guys. And then he plays like really vicious guys like the General and, and the, Planet, the Planet of the Apes movie. He's, so, he's such a, a versatile and just, I think, positive and giving presence in films that, that – I just take him for granted, but I was watching him in this and thinking, man, this guy is great. I, I, I just really like I this like guy. I like him, too. Yeah, he's just terrific. Um, you know, I, I, you're talking about they never run out of gas. It's kind of like Vertigo for its time. They always found a parking spot in San Francisco in front of the place he wanted to go. Oh, that's right. That's <laughs> right. That's funny. <laughs> Everywhere he went, he parked in front of Trader. You know, it was just there, park, right there. This yeah, parking. yeah. No, that's, that's more like L.A. Okay, so now I'm going to go to a current war. The Current War. Okay. The current war? Yeah, I, I love this movie. Uh, n- now, this movie is actually called, believe it or not, The Current War, The Director's Cut, which is kind of funny because nobody even saw, nobody saw the original. <laughs> what happened is that this, this movie was, was um, snagged in the Me Too disaster of, that hit Weinstein Studios. And th- this is a movie that they had coming out, and then... It just never really got released. It got released maybe a couple of places. Anyhow, the director took it and added scenes to it. And what it is, it's about a piece of history that I did not know about. And it was, it takes place in the late 1890, in the late 19th century, spans from about 1880 to maybe 15 years. And it's about the battle for who, who was going to light up America's cities. Was it going to be George Westinghouse and his method or Thomas Edison and his method? Thomas Edison had the direct current method and George Westinghouse had the alternating current method. And very early in the movie, it becomes pretty clear to us that who should light up the cities of America uh, is George Westinghouse, because the alternating current thing, you can project uh, electricity over the course of miles. The Edison version was very was kind of weak, and you'd need generators, and you'd you'd only be able to do it in big cities that were you know kind of congested, and you can just target an area. But in the movie Edison, who is played by Benedict Cumberbatch, who once played Pitt the Younger, I was just going to say, can you also we. We're doing a little nostalgia here about when you first mentioned Benedict Cumberbatch. Was in was he played Pitt the Younger, <laughs> which was a, a whole a whole thing uh, that was we got some. And you mocked him. I'm, I'm, yeah, I did actually. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, well, it's kind of funny that he became. Well, I liked him as Pitt the Younger, but it never occurred to me that this guy was going to become a big movie star. But anyway, uh, Thomas Edison is you know really media savvy. 
and and he he starts saying that you know George Westinghouse method is is very dangerous and starts doing this kind of thing. But it's 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 also kind of um, fascinating to realize that these guys are like the the dot com billionaires or mm-hmm. something because Thomas Edison, as the movie starts, is thirty three years old and is already the inventor of the phonograph and the electric light. And George Westinghouse is, I think, I think he's four months older than Edison. So these are young guys, they're kind of young geniuses who are going to basically write write the history of the next 50 years. And it's 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 a great story. And then the one well, thing that... Westinghouse? Westinghouse is, Westinghouse is played by Michael Shannon. Oh. And so if you, you were watching it, you would think that the bad guy would be Michael Shannon. But Michael Shannon plays a great good guy in this. So just, good, and he can't, finally. <laughs> yeah, I know. And he can't compete with Edison in terms of publicity. He's just He plays him as like this quiet guy, but he has the better method. So it's like, which is going to win out? Um, the thing I should say about the, this movie that must be said because it's fully, well, it's, I can't put a percentage to it, but it's a major part of what makes, makes the movie as good as it is, is that it's shot beautifully. And it's has this it's it's the director the guy's name is um what's his name alfonso gomez region he's an american uh from the border near the border of texas um and he films this this movie with just great flowing camera work you know close-ups turn into medium shots medium shots turn into vistas something up from up goes down but but it creates it creates a feeling that all of this is very important, um, and that that you're seeing something. I don't know. It it just it, it's a kind of unconscious thing, but it it just elevates. It gives the story a certain elevation. I've seen some reviews of this. A lot of people think it's slow. I, I didn't think think it was slow um, at all. I think it was kind of brilliant. Also, do they um, make Edison ruthless? Uh, my understanding in, in revision, you, know, you saw the Mickey Rooney movie, yeah. and it's the nicest guy in the world. Yeah. And even growing up, you saw pictures of him, and you were like, "Oh, that's that really nice inventor." But then you later, like when you get you know older, and you go, "He was supposedly incredibly ruthless and pr- incredibly nasty." And he 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 had uh, some genuine principles. He was not the worst guy in the world. In fact, what what's good about the movie is that they're both fundamentally decent guys, mm-hmm. but Westinghouse is better. Mm-hmm. But they're not. It's not like one guy's completely evil and the other guy. Yeah. But the one thing that comes across in this is that Edison was very litigious, and he really almost set movies back for years yeah. because he wanted to control completely. He wanted to control like who made movies. He wanted it, he wanted not only to be the guy who invented the movie camera and the movie projector, yeah. but to 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 control. To, to make it so that nobody can make a movie but him, mm-hmm. which was crazy, and that's part of the you know part of the reason why uh, people just left New York is just to get rid you yeah, know get New away Jersey, from them. Actually. But they would you know and they would do mm-hmm. different. They'd add some sprocket holes and they'd do mm-hmm. some things to to make it different. But anyway, uh, yeah, he wasn't the greatest guy in the world, but he you know he was kind of he's a great American story that's yeah. for sure, and he definitely oh absolutely yeah. know, contributed. I'm just curious. We've got one more, and um, it's about Nazis, so it's a very serious movie, correct? Yes, yes. It's well. It's not a serious movie. It's a funny movie, but it's it is serious. And the name of it is it's Jojo Rabbit, and it's it's the story of a kid uh, who's uh, ten years old, played by a very good young actor, really good Roman Griffin something, and 
it's he's in the Hitler Youth. It's very clear that um, that the Nazis are going to lose the war at the start of the movie. We know that for sure. Kids don't know it. The kids are being told how to throw a hand grenade. When you start teaching kids how to throw a hand grenade, you have a feeling that you know things are not going good on your side. Um, the movie is is wonderfully strange in terms of tone. He has an imaginary friend. The imaginary friend is Hitler. Hitler usually gives him very bad advice. Occasionally, Hitler gives him decent advice. Um, but he his values are completely twisted. And then one day he discovers there's a Jewish girl living on the other side of the Not wall. Not Hitler, the kid. The kid. <laughs> yeah, the kid discovers that his mother is actually harboring a, a, a Jewish girl. She's a teenager. And a lot of the movie is scenes between the girl and him. And the girl is very interesting because she kind of plays with him. You know, she does mind games on him. The kid is completely indoctrinated with propaganda. He asks, you know, where's the, where's the queen Jew and how does she lay her eggs at one point? So, the, the, you know, the, 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 it's, it's funny. The head of the Gestapo was played by Stephen Merchant, who is the tall guy who's always with Ricky Gervais. And um, the head of the the commandant, I guess, of the Hitler Youth is is played by Sam Rockwell, <laughs> who just exudes, we lost the war, can we just end this already? Rebel Wilson is in it as a completely gung-ho, fanatical Nazi. How many times was she pregnant? Oh, yeah, yeah, she had like a 10 <laughs> or 11. Children. Yeah, something like that, something crazy. Uh, and she's she's very funny. But the movie, funny though it is, there's something in the tone. This is by Taika Waititi, Waititi, the yeah, uh, and, uh, New, New Zealand. The, uh, the guy who did We Walk in the Shadows. Yeah, We Walk in the, the Shadows. Shadows. Good movie. And he plays Hitler as he well. He plays Hitler in this. Um, he creates an atmosphere where bad things can happen. Mm-hmm. So that as you're watching it, you're nervous, even though it's funny. And uh, and I should also just one more thing. Scarlett Johansson's in it. And this is the first time I feel like I saw Scarlett Johansson in her 30s. I went back and I looked on IMDb. Every single thing that she's done in her 30s has been garbage. Garbage. Garbage, garbage. She was in Endgame, yeah, Exactly. She's into stuff. <laughs> and even if you like those movies, there's nothing for her to act. Mm-hmm. Certainly she hasn't really done any acting except, you know, standing there. And standing in that live. Yeah, well, I didn't see that. Yeah. But, yeah. And here she is suddenly, not 27, now she's 34, and she's terrific in this. She's really womanly and grounded and really can act. And I said, I said to myself, really? You're going to waste these great years in an actress's life on just this garbage, which, by the way, in 10 years, 20 years, nobody's going to be watching those movies. They'll be watching other movies like them because all these, these, these movies, they never last. They never, except for Star Wars, they lasted. They lasted very well. Mm-hmm. But, you know, these movies tend not to last. I hope, I'm looking at the, the projected movies in her future on IMDb as well, and it looks like she's getting off the, the hit parade. Fortunately, in Endgame, it looks like she might not be in any more I think of there's the movies. A bla- I think there's a Black Widow um, uh Alone film being filmed. Oh, really? In the, in the works, yeah. Really? Yeah. And who's the, who's the widower of the Black Widow? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. Anyway, I, I, just, I just think it's such a waste of talent. And you think, I mean, she's got to be rich enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, does it, is, it really, is it really so important to be admired as just another actress in the landscape by people who can't even tell whether you're actually doing good on screen or not? 
you know, make some good movies. Maybe, you know, maybe people actually care about you in 50 years. That's how I feel about it. I mean, just you have the talent. It's a gift. Use it. Don't use it on just junk. Anyway, that's it. I'm I'm done. How You're about done? you? I'm good. I'm good. I, I saw Jojo Rabbit as well. And as I said, it's it, it, it's it's quite remarkable. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it is. It really is. I, I gave it a little man clapping, but I, I think I could have just as easily given a little man jumping. Same thing for the current war. I probably should have. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I wish we had three and a half stars. Mm-hmm. Then that would have been easy. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So we'll be back in a couple of weeks. And uh, Leba, do you want to say goodbye to everybody? Goodbye, everybody. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Talk to you in a few weeks. I'm Mick LaSalle. You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thanks to Mick LaSalle and Leba Hertz. Our producer today is me, Peter Hartlob. Supervising producers are King Kaufman and Libby Coleman. Executive producer is Tim O'Rourke. And our editor-in-chief is Audrey Cooper. Our music is Midnight Special by Ease Jammy Jams. Read our columns and subscribe to the Chronicle at www.sfchronicle.com. Chronicle podcasts are on Apple Podcasts and other streaming services. Listen at www.sfchronicle.com slash podcasts with an S.